Sometimes the charm more Producer Ben alongside your director Matt and the Shea. Butter Ooh. is melting over here. It's Monty. Monty, that was the that was the greatest like Mortal Kombat punch sound I've ever Machiste. heard. Not come out of a. Ooh, that was you know what? I, I was playing Machiste. Mortal Kombat 11 this week with Elaine. Elaine's playing the story mode, but. I'm just getting back into the tower, classic tower. Oh, place. yeah. But Machiste. those are some of the cool. promises. Yes, Mercedes. Macheste. You like that what? movie? It was so hard <laughs> yeah. to find this because you it's keep on, calling it's on... it Mercase. That's how they and said I'm like, it. like, what is Mercase? Like, I thought you were saying, like, Marquis, like Marquis du Sade. No. And so I searched that up. <laughs> oh my up, god. <laughs> and then I was like, what what is the guy? Is he like Greek or something? So I type in like Greek hero film hell. Okay. And that oh. didn't work. And then I looked up just the music box of horror schedule from last year. And then I see what looks like Masiste. And I'm like, that can't be it. But then I put in the uh, uh voice thing and it goes Macheste. And I'm like, oh my god. That seems wrong. I think that's inaccurate. Macheste. Your chest tame? Macheste. My chest is tame? My chest tame? You figured out. How are you, Monty? I'm good. I'm good. I'm kind of feeling under the weather, so I'm I (laughs) I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm bad. I'm not too I'm not too good. Alright. Uh, Matt, and how are you on this fine day? I'm doing wonderful. Um, I got some brand new finished I floors I let you out of the closet. Are you Yeah, grateful? I'm not. Yeah, I'm happy to not be in a fucking closet anymore. CM Punk has returned to AEW and I'm no longer in a closet. What else could make a boy happier? You know, he, you know, I, I on national television was told I'm a smart fan by a wrestling man. So I'm just riding that high for the rest of my life. Um, overall, I'm doing good. I finished a great book that, um, we're going to talk about next. Oh, never mind. Uh, that we're going to talk about another time. Um, when Ben and Monty become more literate. Um, but I am, (laughs) uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm in a good place overall. I'm getting ready to go to the Midwest training camp for 10th planet Chicago, which is going to be very exciting gonna have a uh, a weekend full of jujitsu and training with a bunch of pals uh before taking a, a trip out to the beautiful uh east coast to visit new hampshire and new york state so i got a busy summer ahead of me but uh, i'm excited i just started a brand new book um so far so amazing i would recommend it to monty and ben um, but I have no faith in them listening to it. So I'll recommend it to you, my wow. noble listeners. Uh, I'm just going to keep pooping down that channel. Um, I really, I really want to take a moment to shout out the, uh, the book Gideon the ninth by Tasman Muir. Um, if I remember correctly, it won the Nebula award in addition to the Hugo award for, fic- uh, for fiction last year. Um, fantastic piece of literature so far about, a uh, a, it's a it's a sci-fi lesbian necromancer adventure epic um and if that doesn't sell you on the movie i don't know what will but i also want to take a quick moment to shout out um book nine book of the he who fights monster series um by shirtaloon book six of the relevant jack series by prax vector and uh book 12 of the Waybound series by will wright 
Um, some fantastic literature from some fantastic series that are kind of wrapping up um, that I've been reading over the past couple years. And we'll have to dive into those those texts another time. But overall, I'm feeling I'm feeling good and I'm feeling fishy. How are you, Ben? Dog, I've been playing Zelda. I feel great. Yeah. Let me tell you, I I've I've played a bit of the new Zelda. But it wasn't until this past weekend where I could really, like, get into it. Just a beautiful game. It is how many, how game many, how, design perfected. So I, I've been watching my wife play uh, the game on and off, and it's looked like a tremendous time. And it's really, it's entertaining for me. And you'll, you'll have a little bit more context. I'm watching it, and when I t- listen to her talk about the game, or, or um, when she tells me about what she's doing, it sounds like she's having the Skyrim experience except in um tears of the kingdom instead of in skyrim well so breath of the wild was inspired by skyrim it is nintendo's version of skyrim and which breath makes a lot the, of sense yeah in breath of the wild wild i feel like there's a lot more of a focus on survival and what makes tears of the kingdom so great is that the way the game introduces you to everything it doesn't feel like you're struggling anymore, I guess. Like, pretty much straight away, you're in a town. You can stock up on okay items. Very, uh, a much heavier story focus. And it's just so, uh, it really feels like they adapted Ocarina of Time to a bigger map, I guess. It feels so much more jovial. And it's a lot more empowering than Breath of the Wild is. And I just think it's such a neat twist alongside the newfound abilities. I do not know how you could possibly top this yeah. in a video game. Like, that's how good this game is. That's incredible. So, I'm falling in love all over again. Well, Ben, mentioning falling in love, um, this last week you had an assignment to fall in love with something all on your own. Macheste. Um, Macheste in hell, or as I like to say it, Marquese in hell. (laughs) Marquese, dude. What? Hey, hey, I I have dyslexia. If you make fun of me for the way I'm saying it, you're being ableist. Wow. Well, Ben, instead of outside of your cruel and hurtful statements about the way I pronounce words, tell me what you thought about this uh, outstanding black and white Italian film. Uh, It's a lot of fun um the the style of the movie is really before the structure of modern cinema had been made Mm -hmm. it's more in common with uh communist uh movies like the fall of leningrad or whatever um it's keep keep that in mind for your movie recommendation this week man oh oh my god <laughs> please let it not be stalingrad it is the driest most boring movie. no i As... i only i only recommend good films to you like subspecies <laughs> yeah subspecies man i don't know if i trust that well okay but let, so let's tell our tell our audience about we've talked uh quite a bit about this movie's like plot over the last couple episodes so i'm really curious yeah keep Tell me about how you, I, how I, you I think feel what you're, about it. I think what you undersell with it is how it feels more like a theatrical performance. I mean, yeah, it fits in very much with Stuart Gordon's work in that regard, where it, it it's like a stage play first and they just happen to film it. 
Yeah. I, I just feel that the, the special effects are way ahead of its time. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Especially once they're in hell. <laughs> like, the image of the dragon, once they actually get to hell, is one of the cleanest looking things I've ever seen. It was creepy, actually. It kind of reminds me of those haunted hells ride where you see those ginormous, dra- mm-hmm. you know, yeah, T-Rexes or something. It's, like, pretty creepy. Yeah, it's it's very carnival. You know, in a way, it's Tim Burton, you know? Yeah, it's Tim Burton before Burton. Yeah. Or, or Mr. Toad. <laughs> what did you, what did, what did you think about, like, the overall, like, structure of the plot? Like, because the movie for me, while good and when i saw it it was accompanied with the live live score which really helped but the movie kind of has this kind of slower at times feels like slice of life before it kind of unveils everything that's happening um so i was curious how like you felt about like the the way the scripting went and the performances uh i don't i i think my chest is pretty uh i i i think he's pretty He's, I'm just I'm just thinking of his dreamy eyes, man. I'm just getting I, he lost is, in thought. He, he is he's a, a genuinely handsome loved. dude, you know? Yeah. He's got a great gravitas to him. <laughs> well he did he did over like twenty of like over twenty of these. He movies. must have been an asshole in real life. His first the first uh Marchese uh Marchese film came out in nineteen fourteen. Um and the last, the last one in the series on, at, with him as Marchese is Il Ganate della Dominici. Um, and I'm 100% for sure, 100% sure I pronounced that correctly. Um, and I'm pretty sure he, it looks like he's about to punch a Soviet in, on the front. So I don't know what the plot, IMDb doesn't even the plot of that movie listed. Um, but I think it's worth watching. Yeah, I I'm honestly curious to see more because I feel like yeah. McKay's Day in Hell is probably not the most outlandish one they did. Yeah, well, from so from what they told us at about at the um, Music Box of Horror is it's the most like bombastic. Now, the the thing about this perform uh, this showing of it um, is that it was a the the version of the film we have, like the one that we were watching. Uh, and i think it's pretty similar to the print that monty has online only exists because of a restoration by the italian film society that's crazy um what, but, yeah, but you the, know the, what, what's really crazy to me and i think this is the thing you really underselled mm-hmm. matt but is just a dude he's yeah. just a really handsome guy he's a big like, man i, he was I thought italian... he was supposed to be like like he man it's like no he is. no no but he in in the 1920s I mean, and 1910s of cinema he was he's the no, original but, but, cinematic actually no, but he's a dude at apollo you know it's yeah. like that's what's amazing about it yeah it is and and the my favorite thing about the movie ben is when i was researching the movie and learning about it it turns out the movie is missing about 40 minutes of the original cut um, because the Italian government said it was too salacious and had too much hell in it. Yeah, very. Um, so the the very, sections uh, that are sat- in hell satanic. were substantially longer in the original oh, cut of the movie. Oh, oh yeah, the original cuts an hour and thirty six minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's the version I watched. No, that's not. That's the that's the 
edited version. The original... No, 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 no. The edited version is an hour and six minutes. Oh, okay. I thought the Monty had the The extended version is an hour and 36 okay. minutes. So that Monty had the, the full, version the full hell version. Yeah. Which, I mean... There, it, there's it, only... I mean, it might have just been uploaded. There, there's only one version on YouTube, and they said it was thought to be lost. Yeah, and I, that's that's so. going to be the challenge with us trying to watch, you know, Marchese the Policeman, Marchese the Athlete. Macheste the athlete, Macheste on vacation, the revenge of Machese, Marchese and the Silver King's daughter, Machese and the Javanese, which I think might be a racist thing about Japanese people. You never know. It's from Germany, so you know. Yikes, uh, Marchese. Oh, never mind, Monty. The next one's called Marchese and the Chinese Chest. Chest as in C H E S T. C H E S T, yeah, like a like a chest. Oh, Ooh, that's, no, oh, oh my god. Late, it's like James later, Bond. Yeah, yeah. No, so so we're going in chronological order. So next was uh Mikese and, and Prisoner 51. Um wow. and then and then Emperor Mikese. Whoa, uh, we gotta see we gotta see ooh, that. The the one I'm also 1924 is Mikese's American nephew. Um <laughs> That one might have English in it. Um, Marchese against the Sheik. This one's back to being Ooh. produced in Italy. The last string of them were all being, um, all, all being uh, filmed in Italy. And uh, Mark and then Marchese against the Sheik is well known for a scene uh, where uh, Marchese fights a shark underwater. Um, then followed by the 1926 Marchese in the Lion Cage. Is this dude the original Mario? <laughs> <laughs> kind of yeah he yeah, is right like he's like he's the he's the foundation for the entire sword and sandal genre <laughs> like the 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 subgenre of italian historical like mythological and like biographical films um that were like you know the 1930s and 1940s when we were trying to like kind of have a renaissance of those stories in that culture uh with films like uh samson and dahlia uh, the Robe, The Ten Commandments, Ben-Hur, Spartacus, uh, Cleopatra. Once, like, once the city, once the Italian cinema world had enough money and time to pull off the grand scale of it, before we get to that point, we have these films. Yeah, well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm very thankful you introduced these to us and you encouraged me to watch this because it's hard to find entertaining silent films. It is. It's and true. Is- and even this one drags in bits with like a modern set of eyes, but yeah, it's for a the little most slow. part, it's very charming. Like this is the most charming a movie could be. Like four out of four charms, undoubtedly. <laughs> that was my that was that was my experience of it. Not even without the like epic heavy metal score, it's still a, such a charming movie. I mean, he he goes to war against an entire battalion of yes. demons. <laughs> and wins and, like and he and wins he really doesn't do much he's just like ah, come over here and he like punches him once ah they're down he's just that he's just that powerful it's like in the spirit of wrestling right yeah oh it's, yeah it's, right? very, it's a very pro is, wrestling. is this where is this where bruno san martino got his uh comeback from i hope so he was it might, I, I I guarantee some early European wrestlers take inspiration from the silent film era uh, with Marquesa. It's an it's considered its own era of films. 
<laughs> I, I believe that. Huh. That's yeah, I, I, no, sorry, I, I was just thinking. I, I, I yeah, I, I, that's yeah, sort of crazy. Like the Italian strongman as a character, you know, because like the first Marchese movie is nineteen fourteen, and they go pretty consistently all the way through nineteen twenty seven, until like the rise of fascism in the thirties. You don't like the the Marchese. Well, the Nazis killed Maceste. No, the Italian fascists. Oh. They're different. <laughs> They're different. Now, now, so Ben, so this this was a four out of four charm screw you. And I, I at that year, the, which was last year's Music Box of Horror, there were a few movies that really hit four out of four charms for me. Now, there's only there was only one that I think was slightly more charming, and okay. and and it's in a it's in a very different way, um, but a way that I think will be very. revitalizing for you and and your mentioning of the uh the communist world and the workers rights um are very beautifully captured in the 1974 film blood for dracula um this paul morrissey udo kier film is one of if not the most shocking 70s vampire movies i've ever seen and i would argue um probably the best vampire movie of the 70s um and and the best movie uh with a subplot about the downfall of the aristocracy as told through the lens of a rapist worker yelling at a vampire from romania okay i'm sold so this is 1974's the the version you i hope you can find is the 4k restoration it's 106 minutes long um and we will we will work to make sure that if you're out there for times of charms fans uh please seek this movie out and and uh i was lucky enough to watch this movie sitting next to udo kier um he was the the main actor of the film he's sitting maybe like six feet away from me oh yeah he had like a moment didn't he he really did and we can talk about that movie that moment in his post uh his post attendance q a he did after the movie but that's your assignment, Ben. Um, Monty, I have an ass- I have a different assignment for you, unless you want to try to watch Blood for Dracula, because I know I have to catch no, back up on you. No, no, no. If you didn't do <laughs> what Monty asked oh. of you, you can't go throwing around more assignments, man. I wait, think wait, wait, wait. I, I'm curious. You get one I'm assignment curious. per this, week. This one, this one's Monty specific. Okay, let me hear it. it. It I can't the, promise anything, but I'll it is the sure. 1992 Japanese film "Bloody Muscle Bodybuilders from Hell," in Hell. Oh yeah, I tried to start that movie many times, but okay, fine. <laughs> Come on, I, I I think you can get through it. It's on Shutter, so I'll definitely yeah, check it out. Shinichi Fukuzawa only made two movies, and boy, are yeah, they it's both the amazing. Japanese Evil Dead. Da, 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 da. Japanese Evil Dead. Oh my God! What about it? <laughs> Talk to me, Daddy O. Yeah, oh yeah. Call You're me on the line. It, it's from the trailers I've seen. It looks really, really good. It's and it's short. It's ridiculous and it's short and um, it's just very a pop- gory. Yeah, super over the top. Shit doesn't yeah. make sense. I'm pretty sure. I thought I fell asleep watching it. Yeah. Um. And then I rewatched it and realized I did watch the whole thing. Um, 
<laughs> and I actually had that same experience with another film we're going to talk about. Are you boys okay. ready to dive into the deep ocean? Oh, I wonder, is this the third parter? So we, on the fourth times of the charm, are bringing you to the end of our trilogy. Our trilogy of the man, the myth, the legend, Stuart Gordon. Oh, man. What? What? It's not a trilogy. A quadrilogy? Stuart Gordon, I read an interview, he considers it a quadrilogy with Yeah, because of Castle Freak. Yeah, okay. Well, we're only covering three of them. (laughs) okay is it really that much worse no it's actually a really good movie oh it just it was these are the three he's known for castle freak is like quite quite is in regards to the castle freak is the niche one the most i mean for the longest time dagon was um and then castle freak uh got i think a little bit more attention than dagon the last like five years dagon of all three all four of Stuart gordon's lovecraft features the least covered um it's one of the only ones i couldn't find another long form discussion on um there's like marvelous videos has like a 10 minute uh video on it and a couple other like small youtube channels have like four and five minute reviews um but like castle freak has an entire in praise of shadows video uh reanimator has a adaptation web series by um by the greatest film studio of all time um and from beyond uh is pretty well covered especially having been covered specifically by red letter media um which when it comes to obscure horror films is probably the largest platform you can get besides the best platform you can get for obscure horror films and films in general is that fourth time's the charm so i will say of all of the good hp lovecraft adaptations that are direct adaptations of his work i think that dagon and Stuart gordon's work stand out as some of the best adaptations especially the best adaptations prior to 2010 wait is but, castle freak part of hp lovecraft or no it's based on it's it's loose it's it's similar to dagon based on a uh, short story of a different name short story oh okay it is like a novella Welcome, everybody, to the final episode in our Stuart Gordon extravaganza, an examination of one of the greatest H.P. Lovecraft directors in film history, a man whose legacy deserves the honor it gets, probably the nichest film director who is making approachable and great adaptations of Lovecraft's work. Now, we bring you the last film of Stuart Gordon's and arguably his best. This is the 2001 film Dagon, a Spanish-Italian horror film um, directed by Gordon and written by frequent writing partner Dennis uh, Poloi, who also has writing credits on Reanimator, From Beyond, and several other fantastic horror films throughout history. Um, Gordon, of course, as we've gone over, is a huge member of the Lovecraft community. Um, We previously covered his uh, outstanding almost the play like theatrical films reanimator and from beyond both from 85 and 86 um this film was actually intended to be released and filmed in 87 but due to gordon's financing full moon pictures and just where his career was going uh, gordon had to put this one on the back burner and it wasn't until a uh a town an italian slash spanish um uh, film company came to came to Gordon and asked him to make one more film. Now, Dagon is an actual faithful adaptation of one of Lovecraft's stories, but not of the one it's named off of. 
the original story of Dagon is very different from what we see in this picture. But what this movie does is it almost directly adapts his one of uh, one of Lovecraft's most famous novellas, The Shadows Over Ismith. Um, in this film, a group of tourists are shipwrecked on a remote island off of the coast of Spain named Imboca. Uh, and if you can't Imboca. guess what... Imboca. Which directly translates to Innsmouth. Um, they soon discover that the island is inhabited by a race of fishmen who are very similar to the Deep Ones um, as part of the H.P. Lovecraft Mythos. And they descend into a calamity of destruction and death as they have to uh, explore the city. I think now in Lovecraft's previous two works, Reanimator and From Beyond and Castle Freak, but we don't talk about that one. Um, the visuals, the lighting and the color were some of the most impressive things about the films. Now in Reanimator and From Beyond, we talked about pretty extensively how both of those movies feel more like stage plays. Reanimator especially feels like a stage play first and a film second, very similar to like Rocky Horror Picture Show. From Beyond teeters on the edge of being a stage play and a film. I think it's a little bit more of a film, but it has that kind of uh, atmosphere of a follow-up. What I think is incredible about Dagon and why it's one of the films that has always drawn me in is that of Stuart Gordon's adaptations, it's the most film-like. It's the one that Mm. feels the most like an actual um movie you know and doesn't have that same kind of vibe and i think that's because of the context in which gordon made it and who he made it with um and over the course of this episode i want to kind of bring you an example of i think one of the most underseen and most niche of the hp lovecraft adaptations um i think the film has a great plot has lots of great characters and themes um, and I think we could also talk about uh, Lovecraft's work in regards to his adaptation and where we can look forward to his work in the future and what kind of media sources and places that we're seeing Lovecraftian horror. Now, I've been a huge fan of Gordon for a long time, and I've kind of forced Ben into it. Monty had a, uh, a tangential uh, knowledge of Gordon, having seen some of his films independently. Um, but I think between you two, the, you guys wouldn't have seen this movie out of all three of the ones we watched, unless I forced you to watch it. Um, it's an often un- unremembered film um, and almost a lost film. Um, the film was almost completely lost as after in, in the early 2000s, there was no digital copy of this online um, outside of the D- outside of the DVD release. And it wasn't until um, someone went out of their way to upload it uh, after Lionsgate released it in 2002 that we're actually still able to, watch it today so for a movie that was almost lost to us and has only had a couple editions of it ever made on dvd i'm happy that we're able to bring the light to dagon and the city of Imboca. so uh ben what did you what did you think about uh dagon's uh what did you think about dagon it's i i, I was wondering why it feels so different mm-hmm. than reanimator and i i it's it seems obvious now that you've said it that it's the most like a film uh but i do appreciate that the actual individual set pieces still feel so stuart gordon uh yeah the like, way the the way the like, city like and the, town looks. the girl in the bedroom right oh yeah which like, is one of the, which is one of like the major department 
Yeah, and I and the cool thing about this movie and to that point, Ben, is all of those things that are very much Stuart Gordon are direct departures from the original short story. Stuart Gordon is like the uh is like the attitude era of filmmakers. Yeah. Because well, his you're... movies just go. Dagon just goes. Like the only time in Dagon where the movie is not rapidly hurtling towards the conclusion is the flashback, which is a lot of shit happening all at once and yeah, it's undertaken. It's just it's a lore dump. It's a it's a very intense lore dump, which is funnily yeah. enough, one of the most accurate adaptations of the original short story. Um in the original short story the sh- our, our novella of Shadows Over Ismith, um a a man is going on a coastal adventure around Rhode Island and or around New England and he wants to end up in Arkham but he doesn't have enough money. Um, so he takes the creepy, scary, uh, bus that goes through the weird town of Ismith, which no one wants to go to, um, because of the spooky, gross things there. And he spends a whole portion of the movie, uh, I mean, of, of the novella trying to track down the local town drunk, who's the only one who would tell you about the history and almost word for word is captured pretty damn accurately by the scene in Dagon. I have to say that that flashback scene is probably the most interesting scene ever. Um, really? Yeah, I, I I don't know. Like when I finished watching this movie, I just felt like there's a lot of running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot I mean, of mob both, both both literally <laughs> and figuratively. Like, hey, Wes Anderson made a career out of that. Okay. Yeah, but this one is like I don't know. It, it didn't. Uh, I, I was kind of like hoping it would get better like the other movies, but for me, really? it really didn't hit any spots. Like it's constantly of me shouting at the TV going, what the heck is wrong with this guy? It's like, that is he's the that most is unluckiest so guy ever. And yeah, it's just, well, it's know. because it's I, fate because he's actually the daughter. He's, yeah, also, he's I, also the son of the guy. So it's fate controlling him. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. But the thing is like, it's, he's constantly locked in a room, jumping out of a window, stealing a car, uh, occasionally punching two guys, gets caught, escapes miraculously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And a lot of, yeah, until that ending when that 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 I, ending when she said, "Yeah, you're you're my brother and we should get married." I'm just like, "Well, that's Well, so let's let, for our, for our, for our viewers out there, given that this is the least seen and least covered one. Yeah. Um, yeah. we kind of already talked about the the structure of the movie. So I want to I want to just kind of quickly take us through the plot and it's interesting enough that in with other Stuart Gordon's others adaptations, we've had to spend a lot of time kind of bouncing between what happened in the short story, what happened in the actual film. Uh, but but before that, Matt, mm-hmm. real quick anecdote. Oh. A, a quote from an interview with Stuart Gordon. He yes. said, um, he was talking about how hard it was to get the movie made. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, we take the premise to studios and they tell us that it was just too damn weird. Mm-hmm. Quote, make the fish people into werewolves, they would say. Oh, God. We'll oh, green God. light it tomorrow so as we go through the plot i would like you to think about this exact same plot happening 
but they're werewolves. Okay, that just keep be... that in the back of your mind. The stupidest. That movie. would be pretty dumb. No, no, no. 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 Let, we're, we're gonna go through it in our minds. Okay, set piece by set piece. So, so the movie opens with our uh, our main male lead, played by uh, uh, Raquel. Um, wait, no, not Raquel. What's the fuck? I hate the internet. Tag me and dude. All right, tag you in. Uh, our, Ezra our... Godin. Ben, go. You're the one who can read. Ezra Godin as Paul Marsh, Francesco Rabal as Ezekiel, Raquel Mareno as Barbara. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so so the film the film the film opens with I earned that one. Uh, the film opens with Paul, who's a stand-in for the main character of the original novella, and he's having a dream about swimming in the ocean with a beautiful woman. A woman that we'll come to know very well. Um, at the end of that dream, he is shocked awake by the scream of her presence. And we get to learn a bit about uh, Paul and his wife, girlfriend, Barbara. Um, Paul's a, a work-obsessed nerd who's a very harsh materialist who, even on a vacation to the coast of Spain, can't even find a moment to relax. Now, that moment of relaxation is forced upon him when Barbara throws his laptop in the water just for the ship they are on to run adrift on a rocky coral uh, reef right as they see the city of Inboca. Now, in the original short story, the uh, the city of Ismith is famous for the Devil's Reef, um, a reef that sits off the coast of the city of Ismith, which is known for causing ships to crash and people to become captured. Glub, now, glub, mother blubber. Yeah, glub, glub. Now, it is believed that this exact point, this coastal reef, uh, it's very similar to where we see our characters get captured here, is the source of the evil of the city. So what happens is a dark cloud comes over and captures the town almost maliciously um, before the ship fully crashes and uh, everyone is really fucked. Vicky and Howard are trapped on the boat. Vicky's leg gets stuck in the water. And so Barbara and for some reason, Barbara and Paul decide to take the, uh, the escape draft and row their way to the town. Uh, once they get there, we actually get a, a scene that for me feels very reminiscent of the uh 1973's um wicker man where you see a a character in a town where everyone knows exactly what's going on but that character has no clue what exactly is happening um and in a great turn of fate they decide to let barbara go back to the ship on her own after these scary um fish-like people who don't seem anything like werewolves um, due to their uh, elongated, sharp-toothed mouths, their intense pallor, um, and their constant kind of lurching, moist, moist, moist skin. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah every, this this movie is like one of the wettest movies you'll watch outside of yeah, like a, and, like a fifties goop film. And, and and it really is, I think, the fact that it is specifically aquatic mm-hmm. that makes it feel so foreign i think that's one of the strongest points of the movie is that you know if if for example you have the same movie but it's werewolves it's like where is it gonna be right it's going to be in a medieval town or like a wolf den right like something you can imagine just by putting 
fish people on land is like that's disconcerting it is and i and i think the 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 short the the novella and this film do such an amazing job of capturing this kind of un discomforting dread this this world where you can see what looks like a perfectly functioning town like summer isle um based on an industry that again feels super functional um but in reality is this gross like for um mutation of what would be the normal expectation of such a mundane situation um and in the story in, in the original short story what's driving the character is literally just morbid curiosity he just like wants to know what's going on in the given town um and so we see paul and barbara obviously desperate um to save their family who are crashed on the boat but also this kind of unique curiosity to what the hell must be going on in the city um we then get one i think one of the greatest tonal setups in the movie and 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 i'll preface this monty said he didn't like this movie because of the pacing and some of the features of it i fucking love this movie obviously um and i think what we get here is one of the best tonal setups um of a city now, I think the, the two film examples that you can connect this film to in the way they depict the city itself are 1998's Dark City and 1995's The City of Lost Children. Um, movies where the city itself, just like Mboka, are a character. Imboka. Not just yeah. the people of Mboka, but the city itself. The, the, um, you know what? The set design, um, I, I don't know if you guys played uh, Call of Cthulhu. The game, the the more the most recent version one, not the I classic own it. Xbox. Yeah, so if you go through, like the game starts in the city. Yeah, the Call of Cthulhu it's book starts very, in the too. And I have to say, it the the game actually took a, a lot of inspiration from from uh, the set design for Stuart Gordon's movie here. So. Yeah. yeah, well, that and that really and, and cool. Gordon and Gordon is doing a wonderful job, in my opinion, of adapting. Oh yeah, no, the set is, the is set really of, well designed and for the and city. It's, and it's interesting so, too because the sets originally is based on a New England town, and the way they've adapted it for being in a Spanish town is really unique. I think as well. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so uh, he was interviewed uh, about Dagon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a much larger production yep. than his previous films. They said that uh the scene on the sinking raft mm-hmm. was quite difficult and scary to film yeah i guess because oh, they yeah. were using an actual sinking raft yeah yeah this movie is the yeah. the dread of this movie and he the said, kind of like he said weight. we used humor to relax us it allowed us to get the scene done <laughs> Which I think is a great a great example. You can see it in the performers. Now, we don't have a Jeffrey Combs or a Barbara Crampton in this movie, even though the character's named Barbara. I think shout out to uh, Miss Crampton. Um, you still get a really deep performance out of, our ma- out of our characters in this movie. And I think that Karkin's back to Gordon's ability to work with actors. He's really an actor's director because of his time on stage. Um, Ezra Godin, uh, Godin, I think gives like a scenery chewing, like deeply invested performance. Like just the scene where he first gets off the boat after realizing um, that Vicky and her husband are gone. Like he just, he looks so downtrodden, so 
like lost for hope in his Miskatonic University outfit. Like it is such a beautiful way of capturing that character's experience in such a believable dark way. Um, but this after about 25 minutes into the movie is when things really start to kick up. Barbara has been abducted by strange fishmen. Um, and you're starting to actually get to see that the characters that you're seeing really feel different. Um, you can see these, the, uh, the gills on the throat of the man working the counter at the, at the, uh, hotel, which feels like a great, um, reference to me in Lovecraftian nature to the strange feeling of in the mouth of madness. I think there is something so incredible about a small town with a scary hotel. I mean, it's been in, it's been in horror forever, but this movie I think has one of the spookiest and probably the worst hotel in film history. Um, <laughs> can't be worse than hostile. <laughs> well, then no, the hotel they were in before they went there was fine. It was yeah. where they got picked up from the hostel. This, this, this building itself is, is the real disgusting thing. He literally at one point <laughs> rubs his hand along the wall and it comes back wet. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's, it's more, it's dewy. Moist. The atmosphere is dewy. I don't, I don't know what more you want. Yeah, every great for your skin. It actually it probably is. I mean, Paul's character is probably incredibly well hydrated uh, after the end of this movie. Um, and after a little bit of exploration and spookiness is where we truly get to find out how depraved this town is. As Paul looks out his window and sees that hundreds of people, or you know, tens of people from the local Imboca town, have gathered outside his window waiting. For his presence to be shown all lurching around as if lost and confused and not really human almost they're zombies no they're yeah, werewolves it like a zombie <laughs> no yeah zombie. they're werewolves they're werewolves <laughs> yeah well, I, and, I found that part oh. is pretty uh, yeah it's all right <laughs> i imagine they're in like the hundred well, acre wood yeah and and <laughs> For me, what for me, what sets sets that aside, which makes that so believable for me, is that in the original story and a lot of Lovecraft work, what you see is people who are trapped in a place in a community slowly devolving, slowly becoming less and less of who they really were. In the in the it's like you know, the Denison's, purge, but good. It's like the purge, where they turn into fish. Um, in in the shadows of Innsmouth, the people of Innsmouth are slowly transforming. All of them want to return to the sea and join Dagon and the reef, but they have to go through a, f a phase of transformation, generations of growth and change. And we see in Boca in that transitional period where the people of the film aren't fully transitioned yet into their demonic, you know, demonstrative nature. Um, but they're in that kind of half human uh, change, which I think creates that kind of uncanny valley disgust. Um, and I don't think, and you guys can correct me, I don't think I've ever seen a more captivating scene of a man reattaching a lock to a door. Um, as Paul, Paul <laughs> yes, is trying, Paul is trying oh to lock God. the door to his, his apartment to not get invaded, and there's no lock on the door. The key doesn't work because it's a shitty hotel. Um, and he manages... 
uh, to disconnect the lock from one door and attach it to the other because he's a good Boy Scout and has his pocket, his multi-tool. Um, and I genuinely think it, it's it's a scene that really captures one of you know Gordon's greatest abilities to create atmosphere, to create this like Stuart sense Gordon, of dread you know, in very the, small Stuart, action. Stuart Gordon's best. Ta- I like how we all want to say something. Stuart Gordon's a good thing. best talent, I think, is that he always has a purpose for his scenes. Yeah, everything. Every time the scene changes you're going to get something useful, you know, something mm-hmm. significant. Yeah, there's yeah, no, there's no waste sense, of time. Though, that's the why thing. doesn't it yeah. make sense? For me, it didn't make sense of why would a little lock prevent a wave it, of It doesn't, from though. It's, it doesn't. They break like, in. It's, well, it's not the I, point. I, yeah, I, it stops him for I, a few I seconds. With the, the, Monty, uh, if, I, if I padlock a door, I give you, I, I give you that you would not get through the door as fast as those people did. Uh, I broke through chain doors with by I, pressing my body against the door. I I'm sh- I I believe you, but I think the <laughs> if you were a half fish person who was losing your ability to really even walk straight, I think. I mean, he really he gets like thirty seconds, if that. But these guys are not sick. That's the yeah. Thing. They, well, they, they're, they're they're malformed. They're like yeah, they're malformed. Doesn't mean that they're weak. But what so. it, it in so in the context of of what we learn about these people is that they're meant to be in the water, so they're not necessarily comfortable in their skin. They're not more powerful or strong than they should be. They're just was half humans. That <laughs> the doesn't whole fucking. Movie was raining. They're supposed to be in the ocean. If I hold a fish out of the water in my hand in the rain, it's still gonna die. An octopus you know, will survive out of the water for a bit. That's an octopus. They're not fish. They're cephalopods. But these guys are octopuses. No, they're not. The octopi are the denizens of Cthulhu. These are the denizens of Dagon, who is specifically a fish. But they have tentacles. That's only only one of them has tentacles, and they're supposed to be deep ones. That's why they're all limping. Is is Mm -hmm. there a chance that Dagon is a divine fish? He is a divine fish. He actually... uh, the, the character uh, or the figure of Dagon is a divine entity that actually was a, uh, is one of the first times mentioned in the Judeo-Christian Bible. Um, he's a half-man, half-fish deity who is the father of Baal, who, is one of the, uh, who became one of the principal demons in So it's um, not a bad Christian thing mythology. to be a follower of Dagon, then? In H.P. Lovecraft's world, it, I mean, technically, no. Um, Dagon is actually delivering them a gift. And what we, what we get from, and we find out in the story is Paul runs away, uh, from the denizens of Imboka. He meets the one sane man, the one man who has not been captured by the, um, deteriorating transformation of the people of the land. He has the most soothing voice of all time. Yeah. Um, who delivers (laughs) an an enchanting backstory. He smoked just the right amount of tobacco. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's just just disgusting enough, which is uh, played by Francisco Rabal um, in one of his uh, later last films in his career. Um, He delivers the story. And the story of the city of Imboca, very similar to the story of the city of... um, of Innsmouth is that the, the denizens of Mboka was a, a poor suffering town that relied on fish and trade. Now the people of the town were failing until one day 
um, a man comes to the town and, and basically converts everybody because he tells them that if you're going to keep worshiping your Christian gods and get nothing, why don't you worship a God who will truly give you something? A, a God who, if you sacrifice, will give you gold and fish. Um, and over time, he, he convinces the people of Mboka to give him that faith and they begin to worship Dagon. Um, and Dagon being the Assyrian um, uh, mythological figure from history who eventually was adapted into Lovecraft's work, allows them to desecrate and destroy the houses of worship of what, to the people of Mboka, becomes a false god. Now, the gifts that Dagon give, the very tangible gifts of hundreds of fish, a, a bevy of gold and resources, come at a price. Uh, that price is the sacrifice of, of, of mortal souls and blood to Dagon himself, in addition to the fact that Dagon required the people of Mboka to breed with his people, the Deep Ones. The half-fish, half-man uh, race that existed prior to humanity on Earth. They were the precursors in the days where Dagon and the Elder Ones reigned over Earth itself. Atlanteans? Um, man this is a hell of a lore dump <laughs> hey it's just like the same in the book and the movie um yes kind of like atlanteans Al atlantis is associated <laughs> this is uh, like the 25 minute mark of the movie i feel like <laughs> no no this is the th 43 minute mark of the movie uh, what happens at the hour mark again Matt? <laughs> well so <laughs> <laughs> after after we get the uh, the history of the city of Mboka, we find out that um, through their worship of Dagon, the fish, the city of Mboka thrived and flourished and has isolated itself slowly over time as everyone in the town slowly begins the transition into the into the eldritch beings of the concoction of humanity and Dagon. Um, our character Paul tries to make a dastardly escape and steal the one car in the city of Mboka. Um, and unfortunately, that fails pretty horribly because in the world of Lovecraft, you can't really win. Um, he takes a nice brutal stab wound to like the throat um, uh, and somehow survives. We get, I think, one of the most enchanting scenes ever, uh, which is this Paul. This is the best scene in the movie. Yeah, as Paul goes on a... Yeah. running fighting spree for the movie and ben I, I you can you can tell our 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 glorious audience what happens next in this film uh he sees a fair maiden in a bedroom mm -hmm. uh <laughs> she she encourages him to come into the room and close the door so he can avoid being spotted by uh guards walking throughout the building yeah, this is the mayor's house, the the last like one of the only buildings in the entire house that feels normal. And he begins to uh, she 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 convinces him that it's it's the perfect time to have a little bit of sexy time. Um, and in in probably one of my favorite reveals and uh, of a sex scene from a two early two thousands um, horror film, as he begins to undress this this beautiful uh, maiden. Uh, he runs his hand down the side of her body only to find a set of gills before finding an even larger set of tentacles instead of legs. Hentai. Uh, hey, I mean, Lovecraft <laughs> is perfect for hentai. That's when... Isn't she... Doesn't she also tell... Like, he also realized that she's a girl of his dream. Yeah, so dreams, that's, that's right? part of what he's so enchanted by. That's why he was... Yeah, yeah. That's why he made the move. So. Yeah, because he well, he's his mind and fate 
ties them together. They are, they are, we, we find out later in the film um, that Paul and this character are actually, uh, I think, half brother and sister or cousins. Now, regardless, it lines up with today moderns, uh, today's modern uh, depictions of love, um, family on family, um, and cross-species, too. What a powerful connection. Um, Paul manages to escape and finally is losing it as he tries to run through the city of Mboka. He fails to drive away because Paul doesn't know how to drive. Um, yeah, pretty much immediately the car gets fucked, which is hilarious. Yeah. Which makes this sense. This movie does not give him an inch. An inch. And, and that's even more so when he finally finds a small child who doesn't appear to have been taken by the powers of the city of Mboka, uh, but whose father is, is a half-human, half-fish deep one, um, that Paul then brutally murders in front of him. Um, and the kid, despite being trapped in this horrific situation, gets to sit there and cry over the death of his father um, as the denizens of Mboka begin to chase Paul even more. Uh, we get one of my favorite moments where Paul has two knives and is just covered head to toe in blood um, <laughs> after being captured again by the Imbokans. Um, he finally finds Barbara, um, who has been captured by the, the citizens of Imboka to make uh, a final sacrifice to um, both Dagon slash Cthulhu. Um, Barbara, I mean, Vicky at this point is full on fucking insane. Um, she's gotten the full dose of Lovecraftian nature where once you've looked upon um, the true terror of that kind of world, there's no turning back for your mind. You know what a real world version of that is? Pulsars. I think you. I think a human could gaze upon a pulsar and not instantly go. No, insane. but I mean, like conceptually, the amount of power, or sure. uh, not, not pulsar, quasar. Well, yeah, qua- Yeah, I mean, yeah, quasar. I, I guess. I mean, like, but the, the it's like thing a giant that, space engine. It is, but that's comprehensible. Um, what is, is it the, comprehensible? Yeah, I think it's pretty comprehensible. I, I mean, like, if you don't have, like, a great like, grasp like, of, like, physics I, I mean, or, like, I mean, how like, the reality number works. of it, yeah, but, like, 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 the power of it, like, spiritually, you know? That, I, no, you completely lost me on that one. <laughs> this is, this is the moment when I explain black holes to people and they're like, that's crazy. And I'm like, no, you're just kind of dumb. Um, and I'm not saying you're kind of dumb, Ben. You're very smart, but. <laughs> no, he is, but that's okay. I've, I've, I've earned back. it this week. All right. Bring it back. What makes what makes these creatures and these entities so incredible is that we do know all of these things about space. We can comprehend the powers of the cosmos. You know, we might not know everything, but we can see it. What makes Dagon, Cthulhu, and these entities so amazing is that they can sit in a perfectly mundane space, like a little town in the coast off of off of Spain, and we see power and ability that is uncomprehensible. We can understand why two black holes would rotate around each other, birthing the essence of reality itself and warping space-time and generating gravitational waves throughout the entire universe. What we do not understand is how that on a planet that we feel is materially understood, a being as large as a monolith, as large as a leviathan, can intelligently live deep below the seas and grant people gifts and power just based on the deification of their warship. The, the complete desolation of the, of the faith that the people have 
is contrasted with the actual tactile result of that warship, just like in 73's Wicker Man. It's what's terrifying about that is that there is a God that exists. There is an entity that has power that exceeds that of what you see. It is the old gods. Um, and that's what this movie captures. And I think does an incredible job, unlike in both Reanimator and From Beyond, this movie, and unlike I think many of the other adaptations of Lovecraft, we really get to see the occult side of Lovecraft here. In the last portion of the movie, everyone's been captured and everyone is in the process of being ready to be sacrificed. Um, we get the uh, incredibly consistent chant that we see throughout um, Lovecraftian work. It's one of the few actual pieces of rhetoric that we get to hear from the worshippers of the Elder Ones in the Deep Wind, which is La La Cthulhu Fatag. Uh, which does not make its presence seen in the original story as it is more of a chant related to the the cults around Cthulhu who sit in opposition to the God, the deep ones like Dagon. Um, and this one we see the marriage of the two in a really incredible way as we see the depths of the ritualistic practices of the people of Mboka as they, they, they've already killed Vicky. They brutally sacrifice Ezekiel who refuses to move on from his faith, which is exactly what makes him a beautiful sacrifice to Dagon. Um, we then we then get to see a, a genuinely incredible scene of him being skinned alive, basically. Now, as, a, as it comes to special effects, that is some incredible work. That all the really effects well in this... Done. And they all, did it like... Everything like, in the movie looks incredible. Two, that two especially. Two pieces, does they... They first carved him and then they filleted him from the back and then they peeled back his face. It's just like yeah, really they peel, well done. They, yeah. they, yeah, they peel his from his neck up and then his back to make like a skin suit. Mm-hmm. Um, just like how you would skin a fish actually, which is pretty funny. Um, yeah. And we see them using gold instruments, which I think is a great piece of the kind of aspect that uh, that Dagon uh, that Dagon that uh Gordon understood that you need to have the consistency the the consistency that all of the jewelry and art is either gold or pearl uh, which directly connects to the gifts as given uh by Dagon we get to see the reemergence of uh Paul's uh passionate lover uh Euxia yeah she won't we'll quit him we see that we get a great line in the movie of fuck Dagon, which I think is one of my favorite <laughs> quotes from an HP Lovecraft adaptation of all time. Because that's it's how a shame that's not a shirt. Yeah, which we will fourth times charm merch store at fourth times Um and I think it's it's a great capture of how I think a lot of modern people uh would react to this kind of situation, which would be like, fuck the old gods. And then what you find out is that they are inescapable. Um, we fall deeper down the ritualistic world as dread sets in for Paul. The chance of him being able to escape is, is very limited. He gets a moment of reprieve. He manages to stab and kill his guards, um, where we get to see, um, him at his, we get to see, um, Ezra Godden at his best. <laughs> yeah. I wish oh you get God. the line. Come on, motherfucker. Uh. If you want to get this face, come get it. As he charges down the priest of Imboka with two golden blades. 
Um, which is has to be one of the coolest moments in a horror movie. It's that it's definitely I've ever the seen. most cathartic moment of any Stuart Gordon film. Uh, it was it, the most it, obnoxious moment. <laughs> oh fuck you, Monty! This, this, this Monty Monty's Monty not a the, believer. Yeah, Monty, I I've lost you this episode. Um, <laughs> I I can't even with you right now. Um. Uh, it's great. What's wrong? What's wrong with a man getting his revenge and in his rage and, and, and fear saying, you want my face? Fuck you. And stabbing someone in the ribs. If someone tried to cut my face off and sacrifice it to Dagon, frankly, I would have been a willing participant of the church. But I, if that I wasn't just, the case, I'll you say fuck you my, and you stab someone. I'll leave my comments at the end. But yeah, continue. <laughs> we, well, we all know falsehood comes at the end. Um... So we then get to see Paul's attempted uh, desecration of the Church of Dagon, which a lot of the artifacts things were actually made for the film. Um, the sigil they used for Dagon in the movie was a creation of Gordon's, um, which I think is an incredible bit of, of creation when it comes to the Lovecraftian world, as the symbol has now in the modern day actually shown up in other A.P. Lovecraft literature. Um, we see Paul descend into the bowels of underneath it, where we find out that Euxia, or uh, whatever the hell you say her name, um, is actually the the leader of the cult um, and the leader of D- Dagon's cult, and all the people um, are sacrificed. I she as Paul, was the, the princess of, well, she's the princess. She's like the high priestess, high priestess, because oh. she's the daughter of the original priest and the brother to Paul. Oh, right, right, yeah. yeah. Um. Paul goes to work, which, as you would, you know, anytime you're fighting an army of fish people, you grab a can of gasoline and a lighter, <laughs> and you start lighting them on fire because they're not coordinated because they're fish people. Hey, um, man, he wants some fish and chips. He does, uh, and he tries to save uh, uh, Barbara, and unfortunately, oh, God. she's unwilling to necessarily go with him as she is successfully sacrificed um, to the great god of the sea. Um, Paul in his last moment. Well, of... I I don't know that she had much of a choice in the matter. Yeah, I mean she 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 chose to die. Well, it was it was <laughs> either that or give birth to fish children, which she probably no, still ended up doing. Was she was she raped? I don't think so. Well, yeah. she does. Yeah. So I I yeah. think the the implication of it is that Dagon the sacrifices to Dagon are so that he and the denizens of the deep can breed with them. Um, to create oh. those uh, Lovecraftian entities that are that are deep dim. This is the only time in the movie here where we actually see the like one of the head priestess, the one who does kind of have the tentacle cephalopod face, um, yeah. which isn't necessarily very representative of the people who were supposed to be part of uh, Innsmouth, but I think as a bit of like identifiable Lovecraftian uh feature i think it's still really cool and a really incredible effect um paul actually then finally learns that he is a child of dagon he is part of this church and this cult's livelihood um so he does what any of us would do he goes for uh goes for a protest moment covers himself in gasoline this this was his real fuck up right here thinking this is one major fuck up to that scene i do have a question was that guy Cthulhu? No. He looked like Cthulhu, right? He just, yeah, because the denizens of Cthulhu kind of look like tentacle people. 
Oh, okay. um, Cthu- so okay. Cthulhu is a monolithic <laughs> entity that that lives below the ocean. So Cthulhu yeah, is actually the, Cthulhu is the great dreamer. Cthulhu technically does have the power to change her size at will and become yeah. either monolithic or tiny at, at choice due to the fact that what Cthulhu is the denizen of is of dreams and of nightmares. So she has reality warping capabilities, unlike some of the other elder beings. Um, but this movie doesn't necessarily deal with the lore of Cthulhu. So we can leave that for another time. But okay. suffice it to say, that's not Cthulhu. That's just a high, that's just like a, a, a person who's deep down the path of transformation into the, uh, the nature of what it means to be a Lovecraftian creature or half human, half Lovecraftian, uh, uh, entity. Um, we see Paul, as Ben said, make the great mistake. He lights himself on fire um before his he's right next to the water yeah and his sister lover pulls him deep into the waves um and actually in in a in a move that i didn't think was gonna be um so similar to the original text um we see an acceptance of his true nature yeah Um, i thought that was interesting which is like the ending of splash tom hanks movie I haven't seen it. Sure. It's definitely worse than this one. Um, <laughs> I see... sort of thought he was just like became part of the trance. Well, I think that's part of it. No, is that I, he think, realizes I, I got that, that he, he accepted is. it. His but yeah, because yeah, yeah. he realizes there's no escape. I mean, he sees the lungs come from him and he realizes that his dream, the mystical thing he's been dreaming about his whole life, you know, the love that's deep inside of him is coming true. That um, tunnel, yeah, and that tunnel appear—the appearance of the tunnel was at the beginning of the movie. Yep, in his dream as well. It's right? something. So. It that was his fate. His fate yeah, since birth, and fate. and that yeah. that that essence of seeing that that grand thing that you're supposed to go towards is very reminiscent of some of the stories that you see of um of cthulhu where he he she communicates with dreams leading you to your your ultimate purpose and his ultimate purpose was to join dagon in the deep and it ends with the it ends with the great line we shall dive down through the black abysses and in that layer of the deep ones we shall dwell amidst wonder and glory forever and that brings us to the end and that brings us to the end of dagon one of my favorite um, adaptations of any I of Lovecraft's tell. work. Um, <laughs> a, a movie similar to From Beyond and Reanimator, but I think that captures the... Um, it's a much a, more mature movie. Yeah, it's more mature. It's more occult. It's I mean, much it's more... filmed more mature. Like, mm-hmm. Stuart Gordon became a really good filmmaker. Yeah. So, so. so Ben, I would a- after I've waxed quite poetic about... Um, quite poetic. Yes, uh, quite loquaciously um, about the glories of Dagon. I'm curious what your opinions of this film are. I think it's Stuart Gordon's best that I've seen from him. Yeah. I think that it should be studied more for how Mm -hmm. you can make a basic film more interesting. Uh, Okay. Like the fish stuff is wild, but what I noticed the second time around was mm-hmm. just how smart everything was. You know, no yeah. wasted movement in anything. Um, it's just, it's, it's so good. Like, I, uh, I feel like his previous films really weren't quite there yet. 
I think Dagon's the movie that you hold up compared to like The Thing or yeah. like In the Mouth of Madness. Those real like no one talks about that. Well, they do with The Thing, but like In the Mouth of Madness, like no one talks about this, but this is actually like like a, a top top tier movie. You know? Yeah, I agree. It's a it's it's one of the it's one of the few it's one of those few films that does something that genuinely feels unique and special um in a way that isn't captured by many other um many other adaptations of lovecraft works or many other uh films i think in general really yeah um i mean uh, i i'm i'm trying to find something you haven't you haven't really covered already i'm sorry i'm sorry i was i was a little verbose about the coloring like the coloring's great. The score is amazing. The pace is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, the the same like mealy eyed main character is he's just mastered the art of that. Yeah. Um, the way the his effects, ability to the, capture the effects someone being are weird. all at least passable, like good oh, enough. Yeah. Um, I I've, it uh, it's just really great. It's <laughs> I think it's a lot better than his prior films though okay like the reason uh, throughout this journey i wouldn't rate Stuart gordon as high as a john carpenter mm, yeah i can agree i with feel that like dagon is as good as carpenter's best but i don't think reanimator and from beyond are quite there but yeah, that's also me- a my taste thing Right. Well, I, I'll 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 can I'll, I'll contend with you on that one because it, what feels like was the case with his other movies, and I think why it's so important to cover these movies. Just like I felt like it was really important for us to um, cover uh, Prince of Darkness and the other less seen works of of um, Carpenter of Carpenter is that these movies do something kind of different. And you, as you put it, Ben, this is the first one that feels mature and i think in the early 2000s and 90s we weren't really getting a lot of mature lovecraftian work in general you know like it's i think it's very difficult to pull off this tone um without either getting silly or ridiculous um and we've only seen that done super well especially for direct adaptation um for very very few movies we have there's dagon and then there's color out of space and when it comes yeah. to like distinct adaptations that feel different and feel respectful and mature, I can't think of very many others in the lineage of Lovecraftian adaptations that kind of get that quite as well as Dagon. Dagon Dynamite. Dagon is Dagon. That was that 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 sentiment made me uncomfortable. <laughs> I, was, I, I was trying was your, for some. That was your that was miss. your Marty Janetti moment. Yeah, that oh, was man. that that was the moment that everything turned. So um, Ma- yeah. Ma- Monty, the 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 hater of the podcast today, uh, <laughs> what did you what did you think? Uh, what are your final thoughts um, uh, on Stuart Gordon's uh, four H.P. Lovecraft films, the three we watched in Castle Freak? Um, and your overall thoughts on Dagon and that lineage. So I, I, I liked reanimator cause yeah, I, I saw it 
long, long time ago. I enjoy mm-hmm. it. I do, I do, I did enjoy also From Beyond. Okay. <clears throat> and and I found that how they're both shot was like you said, it's like watching a feature film, but done in a play style. Uh, yeah. Which was really well, good. So I was ready for an experience like that uh, for Dagon, but. The sets, everything, how is how is done, and surprisingly, how majority of the film that was shot on a, a, a handheld video, camera. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention camera. almost the whole movie is um, filmed on a handheld. Yeah, that's it's almost all shot in handheld. I have to say, everything was done really well. The sets were really well built. It did give more of that Waterworld esque. Uh, yes part of the the lore i appreciate that the only thing is it's just to me this felt like a a tv movie uh it just was kind of repetitive and it tried it felt like they're trying to uh force the movie to go into the a feature film length like an hour and a half there's a lot of um you know it's him running around like it just felt very repetitive like i was hoping for the movie to move on and when it got to that midpoint where they where he met uh ezekiel and Mm -hmm. knowing that story i'm like oh finally like the the movie's picking up uh but then it 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 goes the 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 needle hits sharp down for me Mm -hmm. uh in the sense is that after the story after he realizes it then he starts going on a run again. It's like the, mm-hmm. the mobs just never stop. It's like, I don't know. It, it just felt very repetitive. Like I know it would have made punches. it better, Monty. I know it would have made it better if it was werewolves instead of fish people. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, not that. <laughs> no, I, I, I rather it stay with the fish people. But near the end, it just, yeah, it's just felt like the antagonist in this film was just very useless um well they win i mean i I think of the chase scenes as like interludes yeah yeah as opposed to like furthering the plot it's like it's like he's like location this this guy just never stops running and every time he runs to a destination He's trapped in, in some shitty well, yeah, situation. My, but my, my question like, is, like, what would what would yeah. you be doing that's any different? Like, I don't know how else. Like, in in again, this is drawing on the uh, the original story a bit too. But it's like I don't know what else happens to you. Like, oh, if you it's... if you end up in Mboka, either you lay down and become a fish person, or you run. Yeah, like I don't you know what he, other other options. No, you I really know, but have. every place he runs to, it's like a dead end. It's just like, yeah. it's it's it just feels like hotel, church, mansion, and that's yeah. it. It's well, just that's like the, running in circles the in the village where he. Could yeah, have, that's that's the that, point. That's, it's the no, inescapable know, dread of it like, all. It's just. It just it could have been shot in a different way, in my opinion, no, to tell it's that like, story. But it's just like so repeat 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 it's kind of like that movie we saw that i, ben I think and I that's on purpose yeah that's that, i mean to me that's part of the cosmic dread of it's it all. like okay okay may, maybe it's not a good idea but the idea is like the imprisoned fight in zelda skyward sword 
Okay. I will admit the imprisoned fight in Skyward Sword is probably the most hated boss fight in any Zelda game of all time. Really? So it's not a great example, but that's what they're trying to do for context. I, I get yeah, it. I, I, but I the think thing it's is, there could have important. been something more in between or something like fillers, mm. better fillers to, to carry the story. It's just like, oh, great. He is running. He's running again. Oh, great. Oh, cool. Now we get to know he found someone that kind of is giving him an insight of the story. And after that, it's like, he runs, he gets captured. He runs and he gets captured. It's just, and then he breaks his leg. And I mean, now he's I mean, through the in, whole Monty, thing. don't hate it's the just, player, hate the game. I, mean, I just if you, think if that you watch the story the could have been, they could have been well done in a different Monty's way. Monty's like, drunk I guess a like, big glass of haterade. Yeah, this I, is. I don't know. This is I'm this is worse it's... than your cover than than Ben's coverage of the. Uh, modern hp lovecraft adaptations like i wow i'm just saying like i like i I was expecting something similar to to um i guess my expectation was like similar to to reanimator and from beyond see to me at least and and this is you know preference obviously but to me this has a very similar like i still get the same kind of lovecraftian feeling like that the world is very similar it doesn't feel like there's doing anything that's like. I, I guess untoward. for me is that, that the the for the first two at least the character like the for me the characters were, you know, I I like the characters I whether mm-hmm. they're whatever but this one, I just I don't know I just can't bond with Paul in this in this movie it's just I'm not I getting mean, a connection with him. And I, I mean, I, that 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 makes the most sense because I mean, in, with yeah. movies like we watched last week with like Mirror Mask and Sol, Small Soldiers, if you don't have that kind of connection to those characters, yeah. it's going to be very difficult. You won't enjoy with the ride, like yeah. Well, you just, you just won't get as much out of it. Yeah, you know, that, like, and that's how all. I felt. Like I mean, I was like expecting something more, I guess, but it's just. Yeah, so, the, the so character... you you were like you were like those the 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 people of Mboka. You wanted more, and you thought the gods <laughs> would give you that, and you didn't get exactly what you bargained for. I didn't get with this. You hear that? Paul. You hear that? The Church of Dagon. He's waiting for you. <laughs> well, well, Monty. Maybe it's just because you only watch the. How many times have you watched this, Monty? Twice. I've watched it. Oh twice. well. Yeah. When was the first well, time you watched why. it? That's <laughs> why. Because, Monty, you only watched it twice. You know, how about you watch it a third time and you tell us right. what you think of it then? Or maybe I bet you'll like it more. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, gonna... hopefully it'll be the third time. But if it's not, Monty. It's still not. If it's not, then maybe the fourth times the charm. Good night and good night. Forever with the underground. Follow us on Instagram and talk to y'all later. (laughs) 
I, I'm, I'm glad that we acknowledge that at fourth times the charm where niche is neat. We are not watching the nichest of Stuart Gordon. No, I, 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 I mean, that's, that, that was, that was ill captured. I genuinely think that Dagon is probably the nichest of them. I um, think we should to, add to the, in, uh, Castle Freak into the list and just complete this quadrilogy. We'll, we'll go back because yeah. I, I... All right, later, <clears throat> later. Let's please push through this. All right, yeah, clap yeah. three, two, I really want to go one. to bed. Okay, go. Okay, go. <clears throat> so we're just going to erase that whole part where we admit that Dagon's... <laughs> <laughs> Castle Freak's a bad movie and everyone's seen it. Matt, I got I to gotta cook dinner, man. <laughs> <laughs> I clapped again. Go. Oh, you did? Oh, I, no, didn't hear you. I clap. I, what? Okay, clap. One, three, two, three, two, one. Three, two, one. Okay, go. God damn it. <laughs> go. Go. Just go. Oh, Just go. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to our final step in this fill. Wow. <laughs> Just start at the AI bit. Should I mention the AI? Yes. Just mention it. <laughs> did we lose him again no uh, i'm just like disassociating I mean, we lost him, Monty. Yeah, i'm we disassociating lost him. uh 